right, I'm going to say, I'm going to say three words in a moment. Uh, and these three words are going to be are going to be the chorus of what millions of Christians, as Pastor Sean said earlier this morning, are going to be are going to be saying along with us as we say them. Okay, so uh, as we say these words, and and I'm going to say them, and then I want you to say something back. I want you to think about the power of these words. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit of God to internalize these words, that they're not just words that we say with our mouth, that we believe in the inner recesses of who we are. I'm going to say, he is risen. And then I want you to respond by saying, he is risen indeed. And I want us to believe that it's true. If you don't feel like it's true, if you didn't come in this morning feeling like it's true, maybe you're walking through a dark season. Maybe you don't come in excited, though you're dressed really nice and pretty and bright. Maybe you don't feel that way internally. I want you to say with your mouth and believe in your heart by God's grace that Jesus Christ has risen. So I'm going to say he is risen. And then you're going to say like it's wartime that he is risen indeed. All right. He is risen. Praise God. All right. Let me read. Let me read the scripture over us. I'll say this is the word of the Lord. And then I want you to want to encourage you to respond by saying thanks be to God. Mark chapter 16, verses one through eight. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. That's Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll the stone away for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Okay, you can be seated. And I will pray for us. Kids are in the room this morning. If kids are running around in the front or running in the aisles, it's okay. So we're going to pretend like this is a gigantic living room this morning. We're going to talk about the resurrected Jesus. Kids are going to run around and they're going to be a little bit loud and it's going to be totally fine. We're just going to press on, okay? If you're a guest, grateful to God that you're here, would encourage you before you leave today, would you fill out a connect card and allow us the opportunity to get to know you and follow up with you, all right? Um, let me pray for us. Father, we love you. Thank you for the resurrection of Christ. Thank you, God, that the tomb is not empty. Thank you that death does not have the final say uh, for those who, by your grace, put their faith in your son. God, I pray for anyone in the room this morning who does not come in with a relationship with you, that today your Holy, the Holy Spirit would quicken their hearts to faith in Christ and that they be saved from their sin, from hell, from the wrath of God, and into an eternity of heaven and glory with Jesus. God, I pray for those who come in weary and burdened, who are, who are your people, who maybe come in under the dark clouds of suffering and pain and death or impending death or fear of death, that you would resurrect their faith today, that you'd resurrect their hope today. God, we need you to do this, and only you, Holy Spirit, can do this. None of my words can do this. Emotionalism can't do this. 
And so we plead and beg, Holy Spirit, would you move in a way that only you can move? And we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, the victorious and conquering King. Amen. Amen. The famous author of The Lord of the Rings, J.R. Tolkien, for those who are familiar, once asked his good friend C.S. Lewis, author of The Chronicles of Narnia, who was not then a Christian, this question, what if the greatest story ever told is actually true? That's all I want to talk about today. I don't want to overcomplicate things. I don't want to overcondense things. I don't want to go on and on about various details of the resurrection, though we're going to talk about all of that to some extent. I just want to ask you to consider the question, what if the greatest story ever told is true? Like as true as you can see me on the stage and I can see you. As true as when we leave the room and we give one another a hug, it's true. What if it's true? What if it's true that there is a creator God? That all the, the beauty and the love that we see in creation, the magnificence of creation and nature and love relationships and laughter and all of those things didn't just happen by chance, but by the divine and good and gracious hand of a creator God. What if God created people in his image to be in relationship with him? Loving, fulfilling, all-satisfying, all-purposeful relationship with him. What if the reason that you and I are able to recognize evil and travesty in the world is because there is an objective good? That, that we're able to see evil and injustice happen and say that's evil and injustice because we know that there is good. That truth is objective and not relative. What if the evil that we see in the world, the shootings, the massacres, all of those things are a result of the rebellion and sin in people's hearts. That though God created us good and he created us in his image to be in full relationship with him through the rebellion of man and the desire in man's heart and our hearts to be our own God, that relationship was fractured and all of God's good creation was fractured. And what if over 2,000 years ago, God sent his very son to reverse it all? To live the life that you and I could not live to love perfectly, to extend grace perfectly, to live for righteousness perfectly, to do all of what you and I cannot and would not do. And that man, Jesus Christ, went to the cross and died our death. The death that you and I deserve because of our sin and our rebellion and our unrighteousness and our selfishness. And he was buried and three days later, resurrected by the power of God from death defeating death, defeating sin, defeating Satan, and now offering salvation to all who by his grace would turn from sin and trust in him by faith. What if it's true? It changes everything. It changes everything about our life. It changes everything about our future. It changes everything about our present. It changes everything about our past. If Jesus Christ over 2,000 years ago rose from the dead, would you consider it? Would you consider it this morning? I'm not asking for talk back right now. I'm just asking you to get a little bit excited if you are of the faith that Jesus Christ is alive. And so we're going to, for a few minutes, just consider that question. What if the greatest story ever told is actually true? It's not fiction. 
I want to talk first about the historical verifiability of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So in the first four verses of our text, Mark chapter 16, if you've been around Redemption Hill for any amount of time, by the way, we are finishing our year and a half long going on two-year series in the book of Mark today. So that's awesome. We're going to look at the first four verses, and I want you to consider the historical verifiability of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not something that we merely take at blind value, that there is historical evidence and verifiability of the resurrection. Mark, who wrote the book and inspired by the Holy Spirit, had direct connection to Peter, who walked with Jesus himself. The other gospel writers and Mark go into great and specific detail regarding the resurrection of Jesus. It says, talks about when it happened. In, his te- in the text, uh, in chapter 16, it says, very early on the first day of the week. Mark talks about who was there. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, says that these women on their way to the tomb talked along the way. They had specific conversations while in the tomb uh, with an angel who stood at the side of where Jesus was laid. These are specific details that are important for us to slow down and notice, that these women on their way to thinking that they were going to find only death and decay and sadness found an empty tomb. And Mark goes into great detail, as well as Matthew, Luke, and John as well, to describe the scene of what happened because it historically happened. The Apostle Paul, who was saved, who encountered the resurrected Christ on his way to, uh, on the road to Damascus, who was a persecutor of the church, encounters the resurrected and risen Jesus. Jesus changes his life, changes his heart, changes his trajectory. He becomes uh, one of the greatest uh, apostle church planters of all time, wrote about the resurrection of Jesus only years after the death of Jesus. The book of 1 Corinthians is one of the oldest, earliest, ancient documents that, that we have, not just we as Christians, like that the world has. And in that document in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says the saying is trustworthy and true that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that on the third day he was raised in accordance with the scriptures. Many scholars, both Christian and non-Christian, believe that that statement, 1 Corinthians 15, was a creed that was circulating in the first century, right around just a year or two around the death of Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that it wasn't just the disciples and the women who claimed to have seen the resurrected Christ, but that over 500 people claimed to see physically the resurrected Christ. Man, you can argue that, you can debate that, but 500 people is a lot of people. Like one or two people maybe, like, yeah, I don't know, maybe his closest friends and relatives thought they saw a premonition of Jesus whom they loved maybe out of grief or lament or something like that, but not over 500 people. And so it's important for us as Christians to remember and comprehend that this is not a blind faith that you and I have. You and I can look at an empty tomb and say that the most plausible conclusion of that empty tomb is not that the disciples stole the body. Uh, It's not that the Romans stole the body. We don't have time to go into all the arguments against those theories. It's that Christ resurrected from the dead. That he's no longer dead. He's no longer in the tomb. So let's talk for a few minutes thinking about the historical verifiability of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because again, and this is going to be the decision that we come to at the end of the service, if he is alive, what does that mean? 
because this is a very personal thing. This is not just an objective thing. This is not just a factual thing. It's a personal thing that every single one of us in the room have to make a decision regarding if he's alive. So let's think about the implications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want to talk specifically to followers of Jesus. Though if you're a non-Christian in the room, grateful to God that you're here and you're going to be invited to repent and believe in this Jesus. But for the Christians in the room, those who have been saved by God's grace, I want, I want us to think for a few minutes about the implications of the resurrection of Jesus, of Jesus Christ. When Jesus rose from the dead, the great enemies of God and God's people, namely sin and death, were permanently defeated. The only reality more permanent than death is resurrection. Okay? We, we don't enjoy, noise is fine, it's going to be fine, we don't enjoy talking about death especially for those of us who are younger in the room. We want to do everything we can to suppress and deny and pretend like it's not a reality. We're just going to live forever. It's going to be fine. Modern medicine is great. We just don't want to think about it. But the reality is every single one of us in the room, no matter how old or young you are, will die. Death has a perfect record. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he changed everything. The only thing for believers in Christ more permanent than death is resurrection. And so two implications that I want us to consider. Number one, because of the resurrection, followers of Jesus need not fear death or the condemnation our sin deserves following it. Read that one more time. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus need not fear death or the condemnation our sins deserve following it. So first, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus need not fear death. Our society and culture, us, okay, the modern West, unlike any other in the history of the world, resists and does anything and everything possible to deny the inevitability of death. Pastor Tim Keller says of death, death is hideous and frightening, and cruel, and unusual. It is not the way that life is supposed to be. And our grief in the face of death acknowledges that. The reason we hate death so much is because it's not the way it's supposed to be. It is, in the most simple terms, unnatural, according to God's original design in Genesis 1 and 2. It's not the way it's supposed to be. In our fear of death, then, even we as born-again followers of Jesus, for those of us in the room who are, we still fear death, but because of the resurrection, we do not have to. For those who trust in Christ, the resurrected one, death is not the end, but a doorway to the true, beautiful, and abundant life Jesus has already purchased for us. So take this saying from the famous evangelist Dwight Moody, uh, Dwight Moody uh, before he died. Dwight Moody, before he died, is recorded as saying these words. Someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher, that is all, out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. What would give a man such boldness as to say something like that? 
Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, the author uses a word regarding Jesus, calling him the pioneer of our faith, who's gone before us into death and then through resurrection. A better way to translate that word pioneer is the word champion. That Jesus, our champion, has gone before us into death, tasting not just physical death, but the spiritual death that all of us deserve, and come out on the other side of resurrection. So if you think about the story of David and Goliath, okay, story of David and Goliath, maybe some of you have thought about this or heard this, is not about you and I. Okay, the story of David and Goliath is not about uh, you and I conquering our giants of life, whatever those giants of life are, as if we're David. The story of David and Goliath is about Jesus. It's a foreshadowing of Jesus defeating the greatest enemy. And so while David was a representative or substitute of Israel, and Goliath was a representative and substitute of the Philistines, means they represented the entire army. The army didn't have to lift a finger. If the representative or the substitute or the champion won the battle, then the whole army won the battle. Jesus is the better David. Because Jesus has gone before us as our champion, taken on death to its face and come out on the other side of resurrection, we, though we didn't do anything to contribute to it, reap the benefits of that. Isn't that wonderful news? And so Dwight Moody on his deathbed, thinking about that reality, allowed him, empowered him by the person and power of the Holy Spirit to say, hey, when you hear that Dwight Moody has died, don't believe it. I'm more alive than I've ever been. Glorified body, resurrected earth, resurrected king. I'm not dead. I'm truly alive. It's the hope that you and I in Christ have to look forward to. That death does not have the final say for those who by God's grace are in Jesus Christ. So we need not fear death. We can do what the apostle Paul does in 1 Corinthians, which is absurd. And that he doesn't just say, Paul doesn't just talk about death like, hey, it's optional whether we fear it or not. He says, oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? That's the apostle Paul mocking death. Getting in the face of death and saying, what are you going to do to me? Jesus, my champion, has gone before me and died in my place. He's risen in my place. And because of the resurrection of Christ, death no longer has sting over me. I'm going to be more alive than ever before. And I have full confidence because my champion has gone before me. The second thing we don't have to fear because of the resurrection is the fear of condemnation that follows death or the fear of punishment that follows death. While other world religions believe and teach in an afterlife, this is not exclusive to Christianity, their universal consensus is that in order to prepare for it and attain it, one must live a good moral life. And so when you come face to face with, with whatever you believe God is, God's going to weigh your good deeds against your bad deeds. And if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then you get in. And if your bad deeds outweigh your good deeds, then you don't get in. That's one way to view things. Christianity is fundamentally different. The gospel of Jesus is fundamentally different than that and unique in one way. For followers of Jesus, we do not face death alone. And we can know for certain that we will not be rejected by God or come under his condemnation. Why? Not because of our good deeds, but because of Jesus' perfection, our champion and substitute on our behalf has gone in our place. I, I had a, 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 a fr- an older friend who is not a Christian of another religion and I spoke over the phone one day and got into this really long conversation, semi-debate, uh, where basically he was hung up on this idea that I could say confidently that when I die, I'm going to be with Jesus in heaven. So man, that sounds like a really arrogant thing to say. It's like, man, if it were contingent upon my works, it would be a very arrogant thing to say, but it isn't. It's completely dependent upon the work of another. 
And so my trust, my hope is not in myself. It's not in my ability to get it right and, and put on my bootstraps and get to work and white knuckle it and do the right thing all the time. My hope is not in myself at all. It's completely in Jesus, the person of Jesus, his, per, his perfect work, his death on the cross, his resurrection uh, from the dead. Paul says this in Philippians 3, 9. He says, I do not have a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. That's all we have to boast in. You and I have nothing to boast in but the cross of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this morning, we have the opportunity to do that. We need not fear death because Christ has overcome it. We need not fear condemnation as a result of our sin, though it's rightly deserved, because Christ has taken our condemnation in our place. And so we can approach these things boldly because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing. And the second thing that is an implication of the resurrection is, is this, that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus are called to grieve hopefully in the face of death. We do not have to fear death and we don't have to fear the condemnation that we deserve because Christ has taken it on our behalf for those who are in Christ. And also because of the resurrection, followers of Jesus are called to grieve hopefully in the face of death. So first Thessalonians four says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring Jesus with Jesus, those who have fallen asleep in him. So how do we learn to grieve? Hopefully is what Paul's saying. Paul's saying we, as Christians, because of the resurrection, grieve death and the reality of death and its consequences. We learn to grieve hopefully. Okay. How do we learn to do that? First, we need to recognize that as Christians in the face of death and suffering on this side of heaven, we are called to grieve. We're called to grieve. We're not called to stiffen your upper lip and get back up and just keep going. That's not, that's not what we're called to do. How do we know this? Because in all things in the Christian life, we look to the person of Jesus. We don't look to our favorite YouTube guy or our favorite whatever. We look to Jesus, the person of Jesus, and who is and always will be and always was the, the, the perfect display of what humanity is, the better Adam. And Jesus grieved at the acknowledgement of the death of his friend, Lazarus, Jesus shows up. And when he's met by Lazarus's sisters, though he knows that he's the resurrection and the life, and he says that, though he knows that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, Jesus grieves. It says this, Jesus said, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. And he goes on to say that Jesus wept. Okay, that word wept doesn't just mean that Jesus cried a couple of tears while trying to toughen up in front of these people has a violent connotation to it. Like Jesus shook and wept uncontrollably. Why would Jesus do that knowing the outcome of the story? Because Jesus hates sin and he hates death. And he hates the consequences of them. He goes down in verse 38 and says, in the Lazarus story, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. A proper translation for that phrase deeply moved is he was snorting with rage. So he wept uncontrollably over the reality of sin and death and he snorted with rage over the reality of sin and death. We grieve death because death is the enemy of God. 
Death is not our friend. It's not on our side. And so when we grieve, we are doing what we're supposed to be doing. Like Jesus, our champion, who conquered death, we grieve because death was not in the plan of God and it is the enemy of God and ours too. Death is, as one author says, the great intruder. Death was not a part of God's original design, but a result of sin and rebellion from mankind. So we grieve it, but we do not lose heart as those who have no hope. Paul says, while death is still a reality, the sting of death has been taken away fully at the resurrection of Jesus Christ and one day will be abolished by Jesus forever. It is, as Paul says, the last enemy to be defeated. Because of the resurrection, we can trust him completely. And so we do grieve the reality of death because of the resurrection, but we do so grounded in hope. And this is where I want to close us. And then I'll pray and we'll respond. While grief is right and appropriate in the face of death, grief without hope leads to bitterness and anger. So we're not just called as God's people to grieve because of the resurrection. We're not just called to grieve because grief without hope leads to bitterness and anger. Those who follow the resurrected King Jesus are to set before our minds daily the resurrected Christ. Because of his resurrection, we can be certain of ours. That's the whole argument of 1 Corinthians 15. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, you and I, through faith in Jesus, can be certain of ours. And so we, like the Apostle Paul, can look at death in the face, thinking about Christ's risen, risenness, his being alive, and say, O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? Because Jesus holds you and I by the hand for those who belong to him by grace through faith, you and I can sing joyfully this morning. Regardless of how you came in this morning, if you're in Christ by faith, or if you put your Christ, if you put your faith in Christ this morning for the first time, you can sing joyfully because Jesus Christ is not dead. He is risen. He's risen. So let's pray toward that end, and then I'm going to lead us through a time of response.